Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Let me invite you to open up to that passage. If you haven't already, it should be fairly easy to find, probably on the first or second page there for you. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Matt. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. I'm excited to get into this passage with you as we continue uh, our sermon series called Gospel Foundations, where we consider uh, the fundamentals of the gospel by following the story of the gospel uh, through scripture. And today we're gonna be considering uh, where we human beings fit into that story. But before we dive into things here, let's uh, open with a word of prayer and then we'll look at the scriptures together. So, Father, we are delighted that we have the privilege this morning of coming to your word of diving deeply into it. And Lord, we desire to hear from you this morning. We desire to see what you want us to see. We desire to be drawn to where you desire us to go. So as we look at your word, Lord, I pray that you would lead us, that you would uh, help us to understand your word with clarity, and that in all of that, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, well, I'm gonna start out with a question this morning. Uh, what is the purpose of your life? What is your purpose in life? If we're gonna put it another way, what do you actually believe that you were made for? Where do you fit into this puzzle piece of, of this thing that we call life as you live in this world? What is your purpose? This is a question that I think everybody asks themselves at at some point or another in their life, and sometimes it takes different forms depending on the season that we're in. For instance, if you're a student and you're trying to figure out what your purpose is, you might be asking yourself, okay, what am I supposed to do when I grow up? If you're a young adult or a college student, you might be considering in the midst of your studies, is the path I'm following the right track for my life? If you're maybe more established adult or you're part of the workforce, you, you might be saying, is what I'm doing actually what I should be doing? If you're retired, maybe you're considering, okay, what am I called to do now that I'm no longer working in the same vocational field that I was in before? And if you're a, a senior saint, then maybe you're looking back on your life and considering your purpose from, from a reverse perspective and saying, okay, what have I actually accomplished over my years of life? But, but what is your purpose? I think it's rare to find an individual that that doesn't care about the direction that their life is going or the the impact that they're having on those around them. Because deep inside of us, there is this real, tangible, almost visceral need to to matter. We know that we were made to to go beyond being just a cog in the machine where we, we go about our lives and we die only to have someone replace the role that we were doing. We were made for something more. And because we intuitively know this, because we know that we have purpose, we spend a lot of our lives seeking that purpose out and trying to make our lives meaningful. And some of the ways that we do this are good, and some of the ways that we do this are not so good. So for example, if, if you're trying to do this in a positive way, maybe you're trying to, to find meaning in, in pursuing vocational excellence by doing a, a good job at your job. Or maybe if you're a little bit older, you're looking back and you're trying to leave a legacy for your family or, or you're trying to serve others. But there's also maybe more distorted ways that we go about seeking meaning and purpose. Maybe you, you go about uh, trampling others on your path to success. Or maybe you seek your ultimate identity out in the approval of others only to have that backfire on you from time to time. 
But the point stands that these negative examples of, of finding meaning don't negate the simple truth that every single one of us matters. And every single one of us has a unique value. And as we come to scriptures this morning, we find that God's word not only affirms that truth, but it becomes the foundation for that truth, and it explains exactly where this value comes from. It tells us that our purpose in life, where we ultimately fit into the world around us, is not something that we need to go out and find as if we don't already know it, but it is something that that has been given to us, that has been endowed on us. And we'll look at that in a little bit more detail shortly here. But we find that it's something that's given to us as human beings and that we are called then to live into as a result of that. And to find out what that purpose is, we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible story here. So I know you heard it read, but we're going to look at it one more time here. Look with me at verse 26 to 31 and kind of consider what is this passage saying about our purpose as human beings in life. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has the fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, ordinarily, I'd go into kind of what we looked at previously to the passage we're looking at today, but we're in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, so I'm limited in how far back I can actually go here. But I want to highlight a few things that we see in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, just previous to our passage starting in verse 26. The first thing that we see in the creation account is God. We meet God the transcendent, all-powerful being who creates everything from nothing. And the things that he creates are good, and they come together perfectly. The Bible recounts that God creates the universe, and then he progressively gives order to it. He doesn't just leave it in a state of chaos, but he actually is taking it somewhere. So he not only gives life, but he gives meaning, and he gives function. And if you read parts of Genesis 1, then you'll actually see some of those those meanings clearly said for some of the things that God had made. But then we show up in our passage today in verse 26, and we see the climax amidst all of that creating that God is doing. And what do we see? We see that the climax and the pinnacle of God's work here is the creation of humanity. And God makes this amazing declaration, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. In our image and in our likeness. And this is where our story really sets in as we seek to ask the question of, of why we matter. So let's, let's consider what we learn from this passage. The first thing is this, that humanity is given a unique dignity and a unique status. So God makes that declaration. Let us make mankind in our, our, in our likeness and in our image. And as you hear that, some of you are probably more familiar with the, the image and likeness language than others. And, and so I, I kind of want to go into, okay, what does that actually mean? Because we all kind of come to the table probably with some conception of what that, that might mean. And some of us might rightly understand that. But people historically have had a variety of opinions about what it means to be made in God's image and likeness. Some people have kind of gone down the road of 
saying, okay, we have rationality as human beings. We can think. We have some sort of cognition. And because God is a rational being, that's what it means to be made in his image and his likeness. Some people have considered, okay, we have a will. We make choices for, for good or for bad. And, and God has a will, a completely free will, and, and he makes decisions. So maybe that's what it means. And, and I'm not discounting any of those. I think there's a level of truth to every one of those reflections. But I think that if we look really carefully at the text this morning, as we kind of work through it, it actually seems to imply and tell us what it means to be made practically in God's image and in his likeness. So in verse 27, there's this, uh, this reaffirmation. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God who created them, male and female, he created them. That's the first uh, evidence of poetry, biblical poetry, that actually exists in the scriptures at, in, in a clear form. And then we get to verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, and here is where it sets in for us. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule, and then he goes into every sphere of life that we can find. So as we think about being made in God's image, the first thing that we see on the surface is that at least the result of being made in God's image is a sense of rulership and a sense of fruitfulness, right? Be fruitful and increase in number and rule over the creation. So fruitfulness and rulership. But I want to take that a step further today. And I want us to go a little bit more deeply into some of the context because we're reading an ancient book. And some of the people that had been reading this in, in, in ancient times past would have had some conceptions in their mind that they would be thinking about that give us an even greater layer of depth and beauty to the meaning of what it means to be made in God's image. So in the ancient world, there were generally two things that you would consider to be made in the image of something else. The first one was an idol. Some of us are familiar with idols, you know, little wooden or, or metal statues that, that people would, would worship. But what they would actually do is they would go through a ritual. And they, in that ritual, they, they would call it, uh, they were opening the mouth of the idol. And they believed that the God would breathe its essence into the idol so that as they worshiped the idol, they'd be worshiping the God. So that's one way that it shows up. The other way that image bearing shows up is in kings in the ancient world. So kings were often called the image of the God, and they would be the visible representation of the God that the rest of the people were worshiping. And what we find happens as we read the Genesis story is it takes both of those ideas and knits them together beautifully and in an amazing way. Because what we see is we take, we see that God takes humans, these little representations of himself, he opens their mouth and he breathes life into them. And then he takes the human beings and he doesn't just take the kings, the most powerful or the most privileged of all the people, but he takes every single human being, male and female alike, and he says, you are made in my image. It's extremely actually countercultural for the people of the day and it's a radical idea for us that God essentially says, you are my representatives among all that I have made. You are to rule on my behalf. You are my vice regents, some people have put it. You are to be fruitful and multiply to my glory. If we're going to use an illustration, it's almost like every single one of us, every human being that, that has ever existed and will ever exist, is a mirror that reflects the goodness of God to the rest of the world. So when we look at each other, there is a real sense in which the closest thing that we will ever see in this life to a, a, a visible, actually, God coming to us and revealing himself to us in some miraculous thing, the closest thing that we will ever see to God's goodness is another human being as we are called to represent him. 
It's this amazing privilege that is only given to humans in the text. And before we can like, practically parse out what that actually means for us in our day-to-day lives, I just want to observe that this imaging status, this fact that we are made in God's image, is something that is uniquely given to us. It is not something that is achieved by us. Let me say that again because it's very important. It is something that is uniquely given to us. It is declared upon us, not something that is achieved by us. It is a, a special dignity that we have simply by virtue of being a human being. It is not based on what we can do or can't do or what others think of us or how much we have achieved in our life, but on who God has declared us to be. And this is an amazingly radical idea. This changes everything about the way that we should look at human beings because that means that as an image bearer, not only are you worthy of dignity and honor and love and respect, but that means that every single human being, no matter their stage of life, the color of their skin, their economic status, their mental ability, every single human being is also worthy of that respect as well. The image of God is actually the grounds upon which we as Christ followers fight against unjust discrimination and injustice overall. It also is the thing that orients us around the truth that we do not need to seek our identity out there in other things and in other people, but in God alone who has endowed us with the status. It's brilliant. God has, has made it such that our value and our purpose does not rest upon us or what other people might say about us. It is simply a response to who he is and what he's done and what he says about us. It's this amazing thing where we're given a unique dignity and a and unique status. The second thing that we see in the text is that humanity is giving a meaningful, lifelong mi- mission. So we touched on this a little bit previously, but out of the dignity, out of the status that we have, we see that then in verse 28, God then declares that there's a, a calling that naturally flows out of that. And it's a calling that, that means that we're representing God in two ways, fruitfulness and uh, and rulership, or, or multiplication and rulership. Now the question is, okay, what does that even mean? Because that sounds kind of, when I hear that, it, it sounds like kind of Christianese or like churchy language. But what does it actually mean for us to, to live our lives with this posture of multiplication and rulership as God's, God's image bears? And, and I want to sum it up in this way and, and maybe take heart of this if you're going to hold on to one thing today, if you're going to consider, okay, how do I practically live this out? What it means then for our calling is that we are called to steward all of God's good creation and call others to do the same as an act of worship to God. It's pretty straightforward. I'm going to say that one more time. That we are called to steward all of God's creation and to call others to do the same as an act of worship to him. Now, when Genesis talks about being fruitful and multiplying, as this kind of tracks through the rest of the book of Genesis, there's definitely a level there where it's talking about children and, 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 and procreating and having children and actually raising them in, in the ways of the Lord. But I don't think that it is confined to that because every single human being is an image bearer. And so we are to call other human, other human beings to, to live into that image bearing quality. So this can go in many different spheres of influence that you have. But ultimately, we're called to take God's good world and we're supposed to leverage it for the good of one another and for the good of all of the creation. We are called to take very seriously how we are representing or misrepresenting God to uh, the world around us. 
And, and the ultimate language that the Bible uses for what it means to be made in God's image is gardening. It's gardening, right? Adam and Eve are, are, are placed in a garden. That's where the initial call comes from. As we think about Jesus, if you're familiar with the book of John, when, when Mary sees Jesus after he is resurrected, she thinks he's the gardener. There's a very real reason why that, that is put in the text there. So there's a, a, a gardening aspect to this where we are cultivating a life of love and benefit and goodness for every single person that God has made. When you look at Genesis 2.15, it says that Adam is put in the garden to work it and take care of it. So there's a sense of working it in in the sense that we are supposed to, to cultivate it, and there's a sense of taking care of it where we're supposed to steward it. And friends, as you think about what your purpose is in this life, according to Scripture, that is it. This image-bearing quality where we represent God by stewarding his creation, that is your purpose in life according to the Bible. And here is the beauty in all of that, is you can live into that no matter where God has you. That is not limited in any shape or form. It doesn't have one form. It doesn't have one setting, but it has almost limitless expressions. So as you think about representing God well and stewarding the life that he's given you and the people and the things around you, this can take on lots of different expressions. So if you're a student, okay, maybe for you right now to live as God's image bearer and representative means cultivating a life of God-honoring studies as you pursue the future that God has for you so that you can contribute to the world that God has made. Maybe if you're a parent, I think about this with Danny. You're, you're always considering, okay, how am I representing God to my children? Because for children, one of the main conceptions they have of God is going to come through the way that you represent him to them. And for others of us, maybe you're thinking about, okay, what does my work or how does my work and the way that I go about that work, what does that say about the God that I worship to my coworkers? And, and if you're tired, you might be considering, okay, how do I invest in the next generation for Jesus? What, what does it look like as I'm cultivating the rest of my life? What does it look like to, to cultivate, cultivate this, this fire for Jesus in the lives of those who are going to come after me and continue to share the good news of the gospel? God has us set up so that our, this mission can be foundational to every vocation and season. So you might have different roles or ways this lives out as you go through your life and you take on different vocations and and, and different situations, but foundationally, that role to steward God's creation and represent him well is always the same. And as we track this through the scriptures, we we find that this call continues all the way to the time of Jesus, and yet the, the sad reality and the challenge that we face in the story of the Bible is not from what we see in this chapter, but what we see starting in Genesis chapter three and afterwards. That as we get into Genesis chapter 3, we find that that although uh, each of us is endowed with this image, although each of us has this amazing image-bearing quality and this unique call that is upon us, that image is essentially broken. We see that our status and our mission are tainted by sin. And that image has become broken in us because of our selfishness, because of our own rebellious choices against our maker. It's as if we just looked at the one who created us that we just read about in in Genesis chapter one and talked about, and we said, I know how to function in your creation better than you do, God. I am going to do things my way instead of your way. And the result of this is that we face 
all kinds of of distortions of the good world that God had initially made. We take the good things and we make them into these, these perverted forms of what God had initially intended for us. So for some of us, we, we may end up rejecting that mission, that call to steward God's creation. We may go to great lengths to avoid representing him to the world around us. Some of us end up rejecting God by rejecting the dignity that other people are bestowed with as image bearers. And this results in all kinds of forms of sexism and racism and mistreatment of other kinds of human beings. Some of us have taken the very God who gives us our status and gives us our mission and we have replaced him with other things that are not worthy of our worship and cannot give us that status and purpose and meaning. So maybe you've replaced it with your job or or your family or your political opinions or your friend groups or whatever it is, a desire to be liked. The list can go on and on. But that image-bearing quality, that mirror-bearing quality that we have where we reflect God's goodness to the world around us, what the Bible says is because of our sin, it has been shattered. And so what happens is that, yes, there are times where we can look at one another and we can still see the goodness of God coming through. Our our image-bearing quality is not lost. We are still worthy of that dignity. But what happens is, and I know you you probably see this in yourself, I see it in myself frequently, is there's consistent pattern where we have to look at our lives and the lives of others and say, I really broke what I think God wanted to happen there. I, I have made this distortion of the good gift that God had given me, and I have tried to put that in the seat of God. Whatever's going on in my heart, that is not what God intended for me. That is not from God. There's something more broken there. And the Bible says that in many ways we are addicted to this, where we, we don't sin against God as, as a, uh, an accident, but it's something that we love to do. It's something that actually we will choose to do time and time again. The scriptures submit to us that apart from some sort of miracle, we will continue to sin, that we will continue to grieve God, and we will invite his, ju- his justice and judgment upon us, and we will hurt ourselves, and we will hurt one another as we continue to fight back about this image uh, quality that God had given us. What we see is that for for much of the Bible story, instead of cultivating an ecosystem of care and of love and of fruitfulness and of stewardship, what we see is that we cultivate systems of, of injustice and brokenness and hurtfulness instead. And yet as we think about the good news of the gospel this morning, as we continue the story of the Bible all the way to the time of Jesus, we find that the miracle we needed of God intervening in the midst of our brokenness is exactly what we got. As the same God who who started this human race here in Genesis chapter 1 was relentless in his love to redeem us. The Bible tells us that in his goodness, God pursued us even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of us rejecting him, he pursued us. The scriptures say that God is so relentless that he was willing to take on flesh in the person of Jesus and dive into our mess in the confines of human history. And instead of being consumed with our sin, instead of being consumed with these distortions that we have made of God's original good creation, he in fact was Uh, the one who lived a sinless life for us. And in this ultimate act of sacrifice, Jesus allows himself to be hung on a cross, as John had prayed during our pastoral prayer today, in our stead. And as he does that, the Bible says that Jesus was not just dying on this cross. 
but that he was taking all of the injustices, all of the brokenness, all of the consequences, all of the right judgment that we deserve from the uh, the heavenly father that deserved to be poured out on us, Jesus took all of that into himself and he died there. And the miracle is that as he rises three days later, it became very, very clear that the sting of death and this cancer within us that we call sin holds no power over the love of God. We've talked quite a bit about how we are called to be God's image bearers, that we are called to represent God well, and in many ways we have failed to do that. And what the, the Bible presses into as we get into the book of Colossians is that Christ is called the image of God because he represents God perfectly to us as God in the flesh, and then he represents us back to God as the one who mediates before the perfect and just heavenly father on our behalf, and we have the privilege of stepping into and standing into standing in his righteousness. And the invitation of the gospel this morning is that we forsake our sin, that we turn from it and we turn to Jesus, the image of God, entrusting ourselves to him for who he is, And what he has done, and God's promise to us is this, that those of us who repent of our sin, who turn from it and turn to God, the one who we were made to trust in, when we do that, we are completely and fully forgiven. And just as God once breathed life into humanity, and the scriptures say that they became a living being, the promise is that God will once again for his people breathe life into them through his spirit. And his spirit will make our hearts new and make us into the people that God desired us to be as we slowly and progressively once again begin to reflect our maker in a way that glorifies him and is the best thing for our world. Friends, for those in Christ, this mirror-like image-bearing quality that God initially endowed us with, where we're meant to reflect how amazing he is, that status that we have shattered because of our brokenness, God goes into the process of redeeming and healing that part of us if we would trust in his son. That is the heart of the gospel. And where I want us to land today is, is this good news, that the spirit, for those of us in Christ, is remaking us into the image of Christ, God in the flesh. You know, I I believe that as we kind of go through life, it's easy for us to constantly seek out purpose and meaning. And it's easy for us to seek out our purpose and our identity in kind kind of a mixed up way where we try and figure out what God wants for us and then we kind of like go looking for it as if we're gonna find it along the way as we trace along that direction. And there, there's a level of truth there where, where we live more into who God wants us to be as we follow him in obedience. But, but friends, on, on a fundamental level, what this text affirms and, and just screams at us is that God has already ultimately told us who we are. We are image bearers of a, of a good creator, And the gospel calls us to follow Jesus, the image of God. And he has already told us what we're supposed to do. We don't need to go searching necessarily for what our next step is, at least on a foundational level. We are called to be fruitful and multiply as we call other image bearers to follow Jesus as well. That is what discipleship is is friends, that we look at people around us, other image bearers, and we love them because they are made in God's image, and we call them away from a life of rejecting that status to a life of accepting that status and following Christ, and, they, and we let the Spirit do his work in them as they are remade into the image of Jesus and love on our world and help in the process where we partner with God in renewing our world. 
So although this idea of, of being fruitful and multiplying and, and being an image bearer might take on different forms in your life, it might be expressed in different ways, in different seasons, I want to encourage you with this, that you are never truly lost if you are in Christ. You are never without purpose. In Jesus, you have been found. Your identity is secure. It cannot be taken away from you. And there is a meaning and a value to your life in following him no matter where he leads you for infinite lifetimes. And the beauty is for those who have trusted in Christ, who have the promise of eternal life, we have infinite lifetimes to do that. So as we, as we close here, I just want to take a moment for us to reflect on that truth that we are, we are beautiful creatures made in God's image. And yes, there are t- ways that we have sinned against him, and we're gonna confess those in a minute. And yet what God has done in Christ is amazing. He is redeeming that image in us if we would just trust in him, and he is calling us to an amazing purpose and mission in our world. So let's take a moment to reflect on that, and then we'll pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed by the things that we have done and and by the things that we have left undone. Lord, there are many ways in which uh, many of us know here that we are made in your image and yet we, we reject aspects of that in our daily life. We reject this idea that we are called to boldly represent you to everyone in everything that we encounter. Some of us reject the the identity and dignity that is found in other people and and, and we degrade them and we mistreat them. Lord, some of us go about our lives and and we set up these these little idols, as it were. We we put other things in your place and as we do that, we lose our sense of of purpose and mission and, and where you would have us. Lord, there's so many ways in which we know what you've called us to do and yet we have not obeyed you. And Lord, there, there, there's some of us here who this is news to us and we look back at our life and we realize, man, I, I am an amazing creature made in God's image and I certainly have not been living into what he wants for me. And so Lord, we come before you today and we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved you with our, all of our mind and our strength and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, we come to you and we ask that in your mercy, would you please forgive what we have been? Would you help us amend what we are and direct where we shall be so that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways for the good of our world and for the glory of your name. And God's people said, amen.